what's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike, obviously. This is my 78th podcast episode. Hopefully won't be my last. This week, super excited. He is, without a doubt, the biggest star we've had on the show yet, the most famous guest to appear on the show, Skylar Aston. You may know him as Jesse from Pitch Perfect. He was in the original Spring Awakening cast on Broadway. He's been on Girls and Glee. He's done big screen, small screen. Maybe you just know him because he's Anna Camp's husband. Wherever you know him from, he is performing at the Kennedy Center's Eisenhower Theater, starring as J. Piermont Finch and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying for a limited five-day run coming up here to start June. I was able to catch up with him just a couple weeks ago, and we talked about everything. It's going to be a fun conversation. We're going to have how he got into acting, how he deals with being so famous, his rules uh, for getting a picture with him. Basically, the rule is I'll take a picture with you anytime except for like this one time, so you're going to want to pay attention to that. Uh, how he met Anna. Uh, we're going to talk wrestling because that's how he and I met, and you're also going to get a fun little bonus, the drunkest Skylar Aston has ever been. He tells us that story. That comes up in literally less than two minutes. So if you don't care about me, you want to skip ahead, do that. But I just want to let you guys know, if you're new here, subscribe, download, like the show on wherever you're listening to it. I'd really appreciate it. Also, hit me up on social media. I'm at Mike Janella on every platform. I would love to say hi. Let me know what you think about the show. And I just love to connect with you guys. So hit me up there. And I also start every show with a thing called Don't Get It Twisted. I'm going to keep it super short today because I know you want to get to Skylar. I just want to say, don't get it twisted. There are a lot of celebrities that are jerks. I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of famous people, and some of them uh, not necessarily the nicest. You probably hear some stories in the media of people, and some of them are true. Skyler, the nicest guy. He's the real deal. I met him, and within 30 seconds, it felt like we were best friends. He was just so nice and open and accommodating. And he's like, yeah, man, hit me up sometime. We'll do a podcast. He's taking pictures with waitresses and bartenders and uh, couples and wrestling fan dudes, just not saying no to anybody. Just the coolest, nicest dude. And he was so nice enough to give me about an hour of his time to record this podcast. So without further ado, here it is, my chat with Skylar Aston. Skylar, made it happen. You're on my podcast, bro. What's happening? Dude, I'm so happy to be here slash be phoning in. Uh, I feel like I, I definitely owe you one. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't owe me anything. Um, it's a funny story, I guess. I, we could, I guess you could tell it, right? Uh, how we met, how we came across each other. Well, yeah, we met we met WrestleMania weekend, and you weren't going to the NXT show, and essentially, I was kind of I, there, I was with a group that had two extra tickets, and it literally took half the event to try to get you these two extra tickets, and it didn't even end up working out, and it was just one of those <laughs> one of those like uh, it reminded me of like being outside of like a club when you were like underage, and people would be like, "Dude, I could get you in, like just hold on one second, like you gotta," and then and then they go silent for fifteen minutes, and then they're like, "Dude, come, it's all." awesome and you're like no i'm waiting for you <laughs> it was great so, though and hey you know what if, if getting if you felt so bad that getting you on my show was kind of like your penance for that i'll take it you know whatever whatever it took to get you on the show i appreciate it look it's the least i could do but also i would have done the show regardless because uh i listened to your podcast and uh, specifically i listened to your your awesome fantasy draft with stack guy greg a couple months back and it was just just so much fun 
Thank I wanted you, to dude. participate. Well, yeah. we're going to have fun today, too. We are not going to do all wrestling. We'll talk a little bit of wrestling later, but I know a lot of your fans probably are listening to this that don't know a thing about WWE, so we won't make it like a full uh, SummerSlam draft, but you can do that later. I'll bring you back, and Greg, we could do that later in the year, maybe, do a wrestling-focused one. How's that sound? That sounds great, yeah. I, I definitely owe it to my fans to not only do podcasts where I'm talking about things they know nothing about. <laughs> it's like either MMA or, 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 or wrestling, and they're like, aren't you that dude that sings in the movie? Right, Can what, we talk about what, some of that what stuff? What the hell? No suplexes. What are you talking about exactly? <laughs> uh, but yeah. we will get to that. We'll get to a lot of stuff, and I want to talk to you yeah, about your fans and about your career and everything you got going on. But I start this, the show the same way with every guest. And I asked them this question, Skylar. So here it is to you. What's the best thing to happen to you in the past week? Oh, man. That's a great question. Thanks. Uh, 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 um, hmm. Well, oh, this is actually true. Last night I got out of an escape room. I did in a little uh, a private escape room with, with some buddies. And if people don't know what an escape room is, it's like it's it's a thing that people hipsters do where, where, where you basically <laughs> very like, trendy. It's very trendy. In, you, you you willingly go into a room that you can't get out of and um, uh, generally you have to solve sort of puzzles and, and games and riddles and figure out your way out the door and uh, I've done, I did one for my bachelor party weekend. Uh, that was like one of the events we did and we, we got very close, but, t- but yesterday we did a different one at a different location and we totally got out. And so we all feel like champions now. It's funny. You did one for your bachelor party. Most people would say that marriage is the greatest escape room of them all. Uh, so that's very cool of you to <laughs> put those two things together. Uh, now I've never done one before, so that's cool. Yeah, and the fact you've exactly. done multiple successfully, yeah. congratulations, man. Yeah, yeah. So something out of the out of the industry that I that I that I did that I'm actually probably more proud of than than most of my accomplishments. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. You have many accomplishments <laughs> worth celebrating, and I, and we'll talk about those. But what I want to talk to you about first, all your accomplishments have obviously granted you a, a pretty good level of fame. It's something I talked about at the top of the show I recorded before you uh, called in. But you are by far, congratulations, the most famous person I've had as a guest on the show. Uh, over right. a million Instagram followers. You got like half a million on Twitter. Uh, when I met you, we were at a, a bar restaurant down in New Orleans, and just everybody, the waitresses, the bartenders, the people, the guys just in the crowd, everyone wanted a picture with you. Like, and you were obliged because you're just such a nice guy. Like, do you realize how famous you are, or is this still weird to you, like being able to go to a bar and not be able to avoid having just selfies with people happening all the time? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of like in my normal life, like on the regular, I, I tend to avoid places when I know that it will be uh, like, for instance, yesterday when we were deciding what to do, there was, you know, should we do mini golf? Should we maybe, you know, and, and you consider things on uh you know we're recording this in a different time but essentially like on a friday night when it's going to be super super general public like um it's not that it won't be i don't want to complain because i actually am super appreciative and i never turn people down for pictures um maybe when i'm eating maybe like at the airport it gets a little weird but uh generally like hey yeah i, I know the deal and like i thank you for so without people supporting me I, I i wouldn't be uh able to do what i love for a living so 
Uh, it's definitely the least I could do. I just, um, there, there are times when I know that uh, I want to kind of lay low tonight. Maybe I'll stay in or go to a specific bar where, you know, no one would give a crap about who I was because it's just in a certain area of town where, <laughs> you know what I mean? People don't really care. And I wear a lot of baseball hats and girl facial hair generally. So uh, it, it multiplies a lot when my wife and I are together. Um, because she not only is so recognizable, but she's so beautiful. So she turns heads no matter what. Beautiful blonde hair, you know, coming through. And then, oh, wait, that's a super awesome actress. And then, oh, that's her actor husband that, oh, I know who both of them are. So it, it tends to, um, you know, those are maybe the only moments at times that, that, that when we weren't uh, anticipating to be recognized, uh, just typical errands or grocery, you know, but but generally, we, we know how to pick it. We, we've adapted to whatever, I guess you could call it, like some sort of a celebrity or public figure lifestyle. And I want to make it clear, you are, I mean, you oblige to everybody. And like you said, I don't want to make it sound like you're like one of those typical celebrities that just, you know, hates being bothered in public. Because at least in the small sample size that I saw, you were the nicest guy, like handling this level of fame that you've gotten to. Um, so I want to make that abundantly clear, uh, definitely, that it's something I thought was really uh, respectful and appreciative, um, you know, me just knowing some other people who have not been as gracious as you. So it was cool seeing that. Um, that said, do you have any rules, like you mentioned, like eating or at airports? Like when, when is it that you say, all right, here's where we got to draw the line, people? Yeah, uh, eating. Eating is tough. Um... And just people that are rude, I guess, um, because I've marked out, uh, marking out for people who don't know where wrestling is, just getting super excited about a celebrity you like. I've gotten very excited for, uh, you know, maybe athletes or, uh, uh, you know, professional wrestlers. Um, and I've, you know, maybe approached someone for a picture, maybe in a more casual way, but you just want to kind of be ready for it you know you know you're you know that somebody's in a conversation you could see them he's talking to someone maybe he was, he's even getting animated he's halfway mid-launch into a story all i would say is just like you know when you see someone who you want to ask for their time just kind of pick your moment maybe like have the camera maybe don't have your phone off because now there's that awkward thing where i'm turning on my phone and yeah just, just wait it's booting up just wait just wait give me a second right that's so awkward yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 a little awkward, and 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 also when you make a big scene, and now you're and now you're like kind of yelling, like, "Oh my God, my phone's off!" <laughs> and I'm just trying to get a picture with you, dude. I love you. And then all of a sudden, now uh, when when we were trying to be kind of um, nondescript about it, because people don't understand that if you make a big flailing gesture and are very excited. Uh, while you can tell that we were trying to be discreet, uh, now everyone's going to take note. And now it's all of a sudden like one of those procession lines at um, like uh, uh, Disney where like you're waiting with the characters. And it's like, oh, I'm now an attraction at this outdoor mall or, or, or you know, grocery store or wherever it is. Um, that sometimes could get a little it's like, oh, now I'm literally don't even feel like a person anymore. And, and it's, it's, it's not even I don't want to complain. It, it's, it's more about like kind of like, oh, that sucks because like I'm with my friends and now they are in on this. They didn't sign up for this right now either. So mm -hmm. those are the only times where it just gets like a little awkward. But, but then again, like I really, really cannot complain. And I'm not maybe it was like a little bit um, 
exaggerated WrestleMania weekend because it's New Orleans. It's a happening place. A lot of people have a lot of liquid courage. So they're, <laughs> That's they're, the they're, truth. They're, you know what I mean? So I kind of knew what I was getting into. And, you know, I was so excited to be there and seeing some of my heroes. So I, I it was the spirit of the moment. And I, I was delighted to meet whoever. And it's just a really good atmosphere there. But that, that, it's not like that everywhere. Um, but yes, if I would go to New Orleans on a Friday night at a bar and, you know, I didn't have a hat on or whatever it was like, I, that would probably turn out that way. And I would know that now, get it going into it. So I can kind of mentally prepare for, oh, I'm probably going to take a lot of pictures tonight, you know. And, and you do it and you're just great about it. And like you said, it's that connection with the fans. If they, you, that's the price you pay for them supporting you, for you being able to do what you love doing for a career and for, you know, a living. So what is it that you think makes you so popular? Because you are, I mean, just knowing you a short amount of time, you're a super nice guy, very, you know, amicable. But what do you think is, what connects you with the fans that makes them so, so kind of ravenous? I mean, you don't get, you know, almost a million and a half people following you on Instagram unless they're really obsessed and interested in you as a person. So what do you think has clicked for you in your career that maybe hasn't for some other people in the industry? Well, I mean, I, I got to attribute it to the obvious, to the Pitch Perfect franchise, because that that movie and more specifically that role uh, really opened opened everyone's eyes to to me and to a bunch of other people. But um, my role in particular was really unafraid to be himself. Uh, he, he kind of embraced his dorky, quirky side. And I think that movie just hit at the perfect time. Uh, and, and, and so people really identify with, with, and I'm really not very far from that character. I think people could tell that if they follow me on social media, it's like, oh, that dude's just like obsessed with his dog and loves music. That's kind of like that other, you know, and he's oh super devoted to his wife. Like that seems like that character would be devoted <laughs> right. to the, They're following you know, to Jesse and you at the same time in their mind. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I think that that's, that's probably one of the. One of the reasons and, and anyone who's, you know, willing to get up on a stage and sing and dance and make a fool out of themselves. I think people admire that. Would you say it's like uh, when people come up to you in public and say, oh, my gosh, I love you or anything. Eighty five percent pitch perfect fans. Ninety percent. Is that too high, too low? No, that's probably around there. I mean, I always love when people can, uh, you know, because um, I've been doing this since I was like a kid and I, I came from theater um, I, I was in a Broadway show 12 years ago called Spring Awakening. So a lot of times people will be like, I actually, you know, saw you in this or, uh, that always like really excites me if they know me from any of my TV shows I've done. Um, you know, that's always kind of cool. I was in the airport the other day and I told someone that my, my show, uh, with Nick Nolte, uh, Graves was, uh, canceled because the network's just undergoing some changes. And he was like super bummed. And he was like, why, you know, why the hell did they decide to do that? And I was like, well, uh, cause you're probably one of the only people that have ever recognized me for that. Uh, and, and I really appreciate it because we were doing some spirited work. But, you know, it's, it's so hard. There's so much out there. So the fact that I've even had one kind of hit as far as, especially in the film space, um, it's pretty exciting. And I'm, I'm not going to... Um, I'm going to be very gracious about that forever because uh, I, I actually love the movie too. So, so I hope so. Them. I mean, you did the two of them. I would hope. I hope you love them. <laughs> yeah. All right. You yeah, get, I do. 
you gave me a couple segue options here, Skylar, from some stuff you said. So I'll let you pick the journey. Do you want to go uh, origin story or methodology for picking work? Where do you want me to go next with the um, line of Let's do origins. Let's do origins because, because really, like, it, it all comes back to the theater training. Even how I deal with fans, like how I pick work, um, uh, um, what compels me when I'm on set or on stage, uh, the theater background is like is so integral to my career and my process. Uh, and, and even 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 like so, it's like if someone's like, "What do you mean? How how does dealing with how does theater training help you deal with fans?" And um, like when I did that show, Spring Awakening, when you come out of the stage door, uh, basically half the audience or, or some nights, you know, like several members of the audience that were there, they, they, they're right there with their playbills. And so I kind of got a taste of, of being good with public relations and just, you know, being gracious and seeing people's faces who I just performed for. And it's that immediate kind of response that kind of carries over to every other media, every other platform. And um, more specifically, more about the work, um, I think the transition from theater to film is way easier and really lends itself more uh, to the process, I guess, than the other way around. Huh, I never thought about that, and I don't think most people know that who are not you know, in New York or familiar with Broadway, that you can just stand right there on the stage door, and these actors and actresses will come out, and you have these Broadway heads who are just out, you know, camped out there after shows. I never thought about that. That's a good point, that that kind of trains you for what your life has become, and you've been doing that for a super long time, so oh, that's, a good, that's a good take, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's my life. I used to ride the subway home because you know I still ride the subway. But you know I would ride the subway home with people that were holding the playbills of the thing that, that I just you did. In, because, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, gotta be cool. I didn't get any fancy car services or couldn't really afford taxis at that time. So yeah, it's like uh, the Broadway performers are some of the most hardworking, humble, talented people, and that's why you see so many people transition and kind of take Hollywood by storm when it hits the right. You know, when you see these Lin Manuel Mirandas and these kind of Ben. Platts and just like these people that just have so much to offer um, that it's almost like okay whatever next the, the next challenge in TV or film is gonna it's gonna certainly be a challenge but I don't know man eight shows a week doing some things that we've had to do it's uh, I would think I would say it's it's maybe a little easier to to come from that you know that place it's an insane lifestyle and career and for people to be so successful at it and over time too. Uh, I applaud him because I know I couldn't do it. So it's it's something that I, I give a, a big round of applause to anyone who can pull that off. Now, I do my research, uh, and you've answered these questions a million times. So I'm not going to ask you to regurgitate too much. But uh, you started, uh, what, Jesus was your first role, right, in Godspell? You were like 14 years old. Um, yes. And I read how, you know, and you and I talked how you played high school baseball, and I've read how you were thinking about being a lot of different things. But I found a quote. You said, once I got bitten by the acting bug, I knew it was what I was going to do the rest of my life. Well, how did you get bitten? That's the question I want to ask you. So people can look up how you started, when you started, but at what point or what made you decide, what told you, this is what I love doing, this is why, this is what I'm going to be? Like, when did that decision get made for you internally? Um, there's, there's like the, the, the answer to that question where it was like in that instant I knew. And then there's the other, uh, answer, which is like, it, it was over the course of a few years in these, like in this very formidable time in my life, this teenage, you know, 
seminal years. Um, I'd say that the instant answer is when I actually performed as Jesus because it all clicked. I was so worried about every moment to moment and beat to beat. And gosh, there's so much to memorize in such a short period of time. And I've never done this before. Um, and I was really thrown into the fire. And But um, my... It's going to be tough to explain, but my, my, my first director, who I actually still keep in touch with, Tim McDonald, is so smart, um, planted a little seed in my head. Uh, in the beginning of the play, um, he kind of did this interesting concept where instead of being the character that I was going to play for the next two hours, I kind of came out dressed as a janitor. Um, and the stage was completely bare, just a little ghost light in the center. And what he wanted me to do, I never understood why. I was like, he's got this <laughs> weird concept. Um, but he wants me to just be like a janitor who's cleaning up a theater. And then you realize that there's people in the room. And he was always very specific. I want, to, I want you to make eye contact with like more than five people and take your time. And I want you to transition from the maintenance staff into the role of Jesus through your first monologue. And I was like, man, this is kind of hippie. This is kind of lame. Like, why, why would I be doing this? And, and especially because when I would rehearse it, I wouldn't actually have an audience there. So I'm just looking at empty chairs. Now on opening night, where it's filled with my community and friends and family and strangers, um, I was really able to connect that that to that moment and then connect the dots through the performance and it really got me out of my head what he was doing so smartly was was really getting me out of my head and not having me just come up with some contrived character but to actually um ease into it and uh, that moment changed my life forever and that was probably the moment that i was bitten by the bug and it was like that instant moment and then the other answer is just um, throughout those cu next couple of years, I was a, I was fortunate enough just being a boy in community theater to get some great roles. And uh, it, it just kept evolving. And I just kept thinking more internally about who these people are. And I was able to play gods in uh, the show Once on this Island. And then I did Into the Woods where I played a wolf. And I, you know, so I wasn't just playing contemporary uh, young kids. I was actually playing animals and gods. And uh, uh, that really got me out of my head. And I, I really had to start thinking and breathing. And, and now to this day, when I get a, a job, even for someone who's similar to me, I still ask those kind of um, introspective questions about them. A lot of heady stuff for a 14-year-old uh, or a 16-year-old. Yeah. At that age, I was like, where can I get a Mountain Dew Code Red and just go like driving with my homies? But you were getting all method and out of your head and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it worked out. So, well, what, right was that? what was fascinating about that is that I saw and – then, and then I was, I was opened up to all these theater people who were all uh, you know, intellectuals. And, and, then, and I was friends with a lot of the older kids because just the lead roles were generally given to older kids. So then I would you know, return to my buddies who I still love, who I, I still keep in touch with, and some of them were in my wedding. But just for those few years – they always were, they always kind of tease me. They're like, dude, you just, you just disappeared. Like you were gone. You <laughs> didn't even hang with us. I was like, I just was like, I, I don't know. I was just opened up to a world and a couple towns over, you know, <laughs> I just stage took to me. get around a piano and sing show tunes, even though that sounds so lame, uh, just cause I wanted to expand my library and you guys were exactly just kind of going for code red or trying to get a 
a case of warm Bud Light to drink in a parking lot. And like, that was fine a couple times I tried it, but I kind of just saw everything go, going the same. And the thing is like in, in hindsight, in retrospect, they were like, even when we were seniors and I, we were both, we were all like 17, 18 years old. They were like, yeah, you didn't really miss anything. For those <laughs> <laughs> we pretty much did the same crap. So Right back where we started. Thanks for, thanks for yeah. playing. Um, yeah. So that first role, though, and then this is my last question I'll ask you about kind of your early days, but what what got you actually interested in just even trying out for a theater? Like, were your parents big theater buffs, or did you see a play once, and you're like, I want to do that. What was that first um, sort of uh, impetus to get you out there? So, yeah, so I, I grew up playing sports. Uh, no one did theater in my family. That was, that was pretty foreign. I, I've been playing piano since I was five. So that like um, that got me into the kind of musical land. And then, you know, it was kind of uh, I don't want to say my mom was like a stage mom, but maybe she kind of saw something in me and I was just kind of afraid to put it out there. So it started with me kind of listening. I, I saw I would see theater because I grew up in the tri-state area. I saw Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Phantom and Les Mis and something I, a musical I really enjoyed was Jekyll and Hyde because I was just like watching this one guy transition into two roles. It was pretty fascinating. So that was, I was very inspired by that, but I just couldn't like imagine actually doing it. And, um, you know, the story that I'm sure you've heard a, a couple times researching me and I've told a million times is that my mom kind of forced me to, uh, you know, after basketball practice, it's like the plot of high school musical to, um, <laughs> to, go, to go a couple towns over. And even though I thought we were never even going to make it on time. So I thought I was kind of getting away with murder and I wasn't going to actually have to sing in front of people. Turns out the session was running behind, uh, and that was my first audition ever. And due to uh, lack of guys, I got the lead guy role. And that was like, that's what did it. And it was, it wasn't until that moment on opening night where I even, I mean, I almost quit so many times because I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I had to quit the basketball. T- like, I couldn't even, like, I, I had to stop things. I, I was like, I can't do everything. And, I guess I chose right because I'm yeah, five foot I'd say ten. so. <laughs> I'm five with like a forty percent outside shot, so I I'm, I definitely chose well. I had no future in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just to show you that you, you know how it goes. I we're kind of connected in the theater. You played, you know, Jesus was your first role in first grade. I played Joseph, the father of Jesus, in the school nativity play. But obviously, I did not have the acting chops to make it a career. You did, so you did make the right choice. Congratulations on, on choosing wisely. Yeah, and don't think that that Joseph thing was all for naught. I mean, you're definitely in the end industry now. You can connect to people like me. You 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 once you once you've done it once, you know what that's like. That's my even end. on a small scale or or at the Hollywood Bowl, like you, you know what it's like to be in front of people and say lines that are not your own or sing songs that you didn't come up with. Ain't that the truth? Uh, so let's yeah. let's bring it to today. So now and okay. you've you've flourished into this huge career. You've done theater. You're going back to the Kennedy Center, uh, you know, this five-day run now, which is awesome. You've done TV. You've done movies. You sing, all this stuff. So which of all those, I'm going to ask you a couple, like, quick hitter questions here. Between movies, cool. TV, theater, what's the hardest role to prepare for? So before the, the performance, what's the hardest one for you personally to get ready for? Um, 
you know, I think if I had to play like a super, 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 super period piece in a film, like that would be a whole lot of preparation. And I, I've actually done a biopic before where, I mean, I wasn't playing like Ray Charles or anything, but I was playing an actual person who existed in the 60s. So that was a lot of prep, but you just can't compete for theater. Just gearing up to do to do that every single time. Uh, my wife and I make the same joke because she just did a, a play and she was like out of control, amazingly, flawlessly amazing in this play. But beforehand, she still had that slight, I wouldn't call it fear, but maybe anxiety of mm-hmm. just like, a, am I going to be able to do this? I'm literally on stage the whole time. I, I don't leave. Like I have to do so much. Like, oh my, it's good. It's emotional. It's funny. It's dark. It's twisted. There's blood. There's, I mean, just, just like the idea of putting on a play, there's always, even if you do it all the time, people always ask you, like, how do you prepare for eight shows a week? And the, the, the real answer is you don't, you just do it. You just have to figure it out as you go. Um, so there's nothing like the challenge and, and the reward of theater, I think. It just always will be the answer. So that was going to be my next question. I, I assume theater would be the answer to this one, but which one is most fun in the moment? I'm assuming it's theater because the live rush and the reward and the crowd connection, it's instant. Or tell me I'm wrong, but which one is most enjoyable in the moment while you're doing it? There's really arguments to be made, and it, and it, and it really depends on the project. Because, like, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to do a multicam um, sitcom, like a Friends type of a show. Uh, it was called Ground Floor. Uh, it was created by the creator of Scrubs, Bill Lawrence. And I did it for two seasons. And I got to say, like, tape night. You know, that like when, you, you know, you rehearse all week and you figure out the lines, figure out which bits are funnier. And and then, you you know, you have your fitting and you figure out what you're wearing and the props and all that stuff. And then, you know, these people file in at the Warner Brothers lot. And that was cool to me because it was almost like a culmination and a combination of everything I've ever done. <laughs> it's like here I am like performing on camera, yet it's live. So there's a theater element to it. And it's also going to be on TV. So it, it was to me, that was like, that was as far as just straight up fun, because like theater is fun in so many ways, but it's also equally challenging. And so I don't think it detracts from the fun, but it's just, I I wouldn't, I I could never box it into a category of fun. I mean, something that could be, something that's fun is doing it once or twice or five times and then not having to do it again, you know, (laughs) but having to do it. Oh, great. It's so fun and it's amazing, but it becomes your life. And you don't understand that even though you saw this play or, musical or whatever i was doing you know once on a friday and it was amazing and you stood up at the end i have to do that twice on saturday twice on sunday once on tuesday wednesday thursday and so on so it really you know your birthday uh certain holidays um you're up there if you especially if you're in an open-ended long-running show so fun is not something i would say consistently for theater but something like a sitcom was just like a pure blast yeah it's that difference between having the cone of ice cream and the whole tub like theater i can imagine doing it once it's a great but when you're there yeah eight times a week it can be a little bit strenuous i'm sure yeah so how do you oh, i get ice cream i get ice cream for dinner tonight that's right. amazing oh i get ice cream for dinner every night ah, it's yeah. kind of making my stomach hurt sometimes and sometimes breakfast. i don't really want it and lunch exactly yeah, exactly so if That's you were to good, uh, if you were to oh thank you I, I pride myself on my analogy so I'll, <laughs> I'll put that on my resume um so if you were to pick so all things considered do you prefer like now that you i'm sure you get pitches all the time or you have an agent someone that gives you ideas or, or proposals how do you pick between 
any of those different uh, mediums? Do you have a you have a favorite for now in this point of your life? Is it all about scheduling? How do you decide between one or the other? Uh, you know, I am I'm still an actor for hire. I mean, I, I I'm definitely trying to develop and produce eventually, uh, and have some kind of irons in the fire in that in that world. I guess doing this for you know, uh, half of your life, it makes you kind of go, you know what, I, I want to say something to the world. And I, I know how to do this. I've seen people do it. Um, so I'm working on that. But as far as just being a straight up uh, actor who gets submitted for things, I, I do. I People sometimes think that you just have like this desk of scripts and you're just saying yes or no. Uh, That's I what I saw in Entourage. Done. That's not how it actually works. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my brothers can attest. Like they always think they always try to compare me to Entourage before knowing what I really go through. You know, everything's like, oh, it's probably like Entourage when Vince uh, didn't. And I was like, no, it's not like Entourage. <laughs> not much. Not many things are like Entourage. Um, but uh, and not to say it's not. A, it wasn't a great and entertaining show, but it kind of gave people an idea of what it's like. Uh, and maybe it's like that for some people. But for me, you know, I take it. I take every project as it comes. I read everything, uh, uh, and a lot of times I have to fight for uh, my for for things. I don't get many offers. I've gotten I've gotten offers, and that's always fun. But. Um, I had to fight for the my last TV show I did, uh, um, you know, last movie I did. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's a grueling process, and people would never even know the things that I was very close to getting, or was uh, was the the director's choice, but the studio wanted this other guy who you know was more famous at the time or whatever. Um, can and, you give uh, us any examples, or is that uh, classified information a little bit too? Um, it's almost like kind of. It was, you know, what it is. It's it's not so much that it would be tooting my own horn um, to say uh, that I was up for this role and it ended up getting this guy an Oscar or whatever. It also just <laughs> devalues that person's experience and makes it seem. I just would never want. I guess I wouldn't get offended if someone did that to me, but I, I don't know. I, I I just I can't speak for that person, so I I would never want to say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not going to put you on the spot. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Believe me, if there was one off air, I'll tell you one that's kind of cool. All right. Um, sweet. That take that, Skyler fans. I'm getting some secret stuff just from him, just from me. So. Ha. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. But yeah. I mean, it's 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 it's. Like with new success becomes uh, comes new pressure and new responsibilities, and you know you get to a certain place. And believe me, I am just as neurotic as most actors peddling around this town. Like I, I worry. I, I when is you know I you ask my manager. You know it's not like uh, they don't call me and they're like, so sir, we have five scripts. There's one that's a musical. There's one that's a period. Like I wish it was that easy. Um, but yeah, there are quiet times and busier times, just like anything else. And that's reassuring. Flows. Yeah, well, it's reassuring to hear that because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate. But, you know, I'm kind of going through that now myself, going for, you know, hosting roles and gigs. And you're out there auditioning and fighting and doing your own clawing, trying to find it. It's not people coming to me with jobs. And it's good to know that even someone with as much success and notoriety as you is kind of going through the same thing. It's very, you know, empathetic and relatable. So uh, hopefully yeah, some other and- people take away that, too. Yeah, and it's it's never what you think it would be. I mean, really, it's not all the glitz and glam that it appears to be. Um, meritocracy is not something that is often uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, it, the, the, there's not really a meritocracy in this business. It's not always the best person gets the job. Um, and I've been on I've been on maybe both ends of that, but I know I've definitely been on ends where 
I was the creative choice. And then just there are business people that get to make these decisions. And sometimes it's one person. And sometimes it's one person who has no background, who just has an MBA and just has the money. And so um, believe me, there are there are major frustrations uh, being in this business. And uh, and yeah, it's it's far from easy on every level, on every level. Well, one thing that was not frustrating about the industry for you, check out this professional segue, was, hey. meeting, was meeting your wife on the set of Pitch Perfect uh, and a camp we've now been married to for a couple of years. Uh, this is a story, again, that's also been told, and I'm not going to rehash what people can look up on People or E! News or whatever. Um, but I just want to know, because I'm, you know, working in, in acting, I'm sure for years you've been on sets or in productions with lots of attractive, cool women, and I would not know the first thing about how to like separate the professional aspect from trying to maybe pick someone up or take someone out on a date. So how do you do that? Like how did that how did that mentality come to say, all right, I know we're I know you guys didn't like film any scenes together or anything. Maybe that was easier for you, but how did you decide, hey, I'm gonna just give this a shot here kind of at my workplace? Well, you know, the the Anna situation is unique to itself because like, I want to be very clear. Um, and, and by the way, this is advice that I should give to any male or female actor. Do not go to set or work uh, looking for a date or a girlfriend. That is like <laughs> the age old, re- you know, you don't, you don't crap where you eat or whatever yep. you say, you know, like you should, it really generally doesn't end well. Um, in fact, like the kind of the last person people i would actually try to be with would be people that i mean maybe i i've dated actor actresses before uh just because it's like you you have such a common you know thing to talk about and they really understand what you do but uh not really on set i mean not the people you work with you know because uh i don't know and especially these days like i mean (laughs) i am the last person that's going to advise anybody to try to quote unquote, pick someone up on set because these days there is such a gray, I mean, it is such a gray area and like it is inappropriate and uh, uh, it could get you into some trouble. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to get into all that, but like, um, I'm, you know, I could not help myself years later. I did not do anything on set uh, with Anna. It wasn't until years later or just a, a full year after we filmed where we had just become so close and obviously like our bond was pretty undeniable and I was definitely like beyond attracted to her and thank- thankfully she felt similarly. So, you know, it, we, we kind of dated under normal pretenses, you know, it was just like the dust. It settled. The movie was finished. We were both in LA. We were both single. And I asked her on a date. It was actually on Valentine's Day. Uh, you romantic and, little uh, devil. Oh, it, it has not stopped from there. I mean, like the bar was set high for both of us, and uh, neither of us are disappointed. So we are still kicking and like showing no signs of ever slowing down. Um, so that's the thing. Like, like if you could take inspiration from my marriage, cool. But like, it's not the norm. Like, you should not like just like only limit yourself to trying to meet people, especially as an actor uh, in a work environment. I I do not recommend that. Um, Good advice for a lot of work environments too. Yeah. It's really not smart. I mean, 
look, but look, I mean, you can't help it. It happens. It's obvious why it happens. You know, you spend a lot of time with people. You get to know them. If they excel at what they do, there could be that kind of like a, a talent crush or just, God, they're so, they really handle themselves well. And of course it makes you think of like, God, they just must be a, you know, a great person to, to be around and so attractive and, you know, it happens. But um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like have that, let those things be mutually exclusive, you know? So how do you guys make it work? Because you do seem, you're like, for a single guy like me, it's almost frustrating how, like, adorable you are. I see, like, your Instagram pictures and date night and all this kind of stuff. And, like, like I live in Jersey. I won't even date a girl in Brooklyn because that's too long distance. It's too much hassle. And you guys have your projects and you're going by coastal and all this kind of stuff. So how do you make your marriage work on such a, a Hollywood level? Well, we have a two-week rule, um, and we broke it once or twice last year because last year was just insane, and we were both in other countries uh, at times for long periods of time. Um, but but we have not broken it since, and, and in fact, we've both been um, working in the same town for quite some time uh, now, so it's been amazing. I'm I'm so spoiled now. Now I'm like I only want to do things <laughs> in L.A. Or if she's in New York, I'll do them in New York. Or, but you know, we we both have respect for each other's careers, and you know, when something comes across, and she says, "Oh, I got this audition for this show, and it shoots in Chicago," and you're like, "It's like, well, you know, we you got it. Is it good? Is it worth it?" I think I think like I think that's important to um to know that it's going to be hard and to like but then also have respect for the individual and know that we'll make it work and we've uh, our first year of marriage was so fascinating uh, in that like, like we were apart for so much of it that it kind of prepped us but I don't think that we'll have a year like that for quite some time but but that's got to be the hardest I mean she was in Atlanta then I went before she got back. I went to Bulgaria, and this is like three months since. And then I went straight to Albuquerque, and I mean, you're now you're you're up to nine months where you're only seeing each other like on visits. And people do that all the time. People have uh, husbands in the military. You know, people have people that are just always work overseas. Um, and you make it work. We, we it's, we're this isn't like a limited engagement. Like we're we're gonna be together <laughs> forever. So you know. Um, you know, the first year was just like, oh, my God, we just got into this. Like, well, we got to like, um, but we've been making up for lost time. And uh, we we also know how to put on the hat of um, like when she was just doing this play, I wasn't working um, consistently at the time. So I was able to really step up as husband and and puggle owner and, and house owner and, and just do all, all the things. And, and she she does the same thing when I'm busier. So we got to kind of figure it out. What's that two-week rule? You don't go more than two weeks without seeing each other? or what's Exactly. The, yeah. Yes, Beautiful. that's exactly what it is. I love it. Want to talk some wrestling? Oh, always, man. That's like that's, – uh, me and uh, Dave Schilling always make jokes. It's like, yeah, BS, BS, BS. Let's talk wrestling. Let's talk the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'll tie it into Anna and your, and your marriage because you know, she was not there in New Orleans uh, for WrestleMania. So my first question is, I guess, does she watch with you? Is that something you guys do together? Is that just like a Skylar guilty pleasure? Not even guilty pleasure, just like Skylar time. How's that work? That's that's a great question. Um, my wife does not. I think she understands that I like it, but as far as understanding it, I I no, I think she does. She does, but it was it's 
she, that's like my time, you know, she goes to bed early and I go to the man cave and I got like a whole DVR queued up of Monday night, raw SmackDown or whatever event. Um, and it's probably like best for both of us. Like, it's almost like, well, I don't want to see you be an idiot. Like, I know you're going to be an idiot. I'm going to see the videos. I'm going to see the pictures, but like, go have fun. Like, that's your thing. I don't want to pretend like I love it for you or be, you know, the opposite, slightly disapproving at times, which I can never imagine her being. But I just think it's like, that is like, that is my little thing. And, and what's so, this is like a lesson to married people. Uh, uh, she, for the longest time was like, so you really love it, huh? (laughs) This isn't going to end. This isn't going away. Right. And for me, just being defensive and just kind of like maybe like the little entitlement there it wanted to do the typical guy thing of being like why are you making it like i i i love it it's not like a love i i just like it like i like baseball like most guys like baseball or basketball it's just normal it's like regular so instead of trying to like normalize it finally i realized that one time she's like hey you really love it and i was like oh, this is the way that she's going to fully accept it. And by me, like, just kind of being slightly more, like, more effusive about it and just being like, yes, I do love it. It's, like, a big priority in my life. It was easier for her to categorize my, like, fandom of it. Um, So just, yeah, just, like, a message to married dudes. Don't be, like, defensive about the thing you like. Just try to, like help explain it and and maybe understand that like if if it's helping them compartmentalize it like go with that (laughs) because it was really helpful yeah i do love it i love it very much Yeah, if they love you they should love you for everything that you are comprised of including your love for wrestling exactly so if you're trying to sweep it under the carpet then they go oh well then this is something that's slightly negotiable this is something that you maybe like shouldn't do over time but if they accept it as like this is a part of you well then it's just more to love exactly it was it was a big aha moment for both of us i think uh probably me more than her she's smarter than me but um, (laughs) yeah so that's how that works for those of fans of yours that are not familiar uh give us like a 30 second history of your wrestling fandom you've been into it since you were a kid did you ever go out and come back uh, do you watch everything live do you fall back a couple weeks do you go to a lot of pay-per-views give us a little your wrestling markdom in a nutshell yeah so for people for people who are like about to turn off this podcast let me just like <laughs> and i still have me... other non-wrestling stuff to talk about so come back yes, or just hit that 15 yes. second forward button a couple times guys don't I'll, leave. I'll keep them going for this this is you know it's not that alien why i like this there is a great deal of pageantry storytelling uh there are compelling moments in wrestling uh it, it, it actually um it's core it's not fake it's choreographed if you think about it that way it's almost like watching a compelling storytelling stunt stunt sequence and um that's not really how i see it but it's kind of how i dish it out and explain it to people who are starting to wrap their heads around why i watch a bunch of oiled up men and like, <laughs> wrestle in their underwear yeah um, i'm the same pitch i'm like you can't think of it like you're watching a sport it's yeah. just that's that's the biggest b- mental hurdle that i see a lot of people still struggling with when they try to figure out why i'm so into it Yes. And by the way, like another thing, especially in this age of wrestling, uh, uh, it is like mostly for kids. So if you almost like put the lens on of, look, this this segment is not for me. Like this is a bunch of guys running around, you know, being silly and, and doing songs and 
uh, I don't want to out certain talent, but like, you, you know, the certain ones that are geared towards kids. Yeah. And uh, so, so my experience with it was I grew up a huge fan because my brother was, and I just did everything he did. And I got super into all the wrestling, uh, the wrestling figurines. I, I had a huge collection. Uh, I went to SummerSlam 1991, which was Macho Man's wedding. First wedding I ever was at was a wrestling <laughs> wedding, by the way. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it has a special place in my heart. And, and like I mentioned earlier in this interview, like um, the, the, when I was 13, 14, when I started doing theater, everything took a backseat. So wrestling was definitely a huge it – was, it was just as the Attitude Era was kind of wrapping up um, – and uh, and I just didn't, you know, I, I became totally immersed in theater. Uh, and it was only uh, about five years ago when um, Steve Kazee, Broadway's own Steve Kazee, uh, he, uh, we were at a gym and I ran into him and he was just like, he was explaining how he was going to a wrestling thing. And I was like, Wait, wrestling? Really? You like that? And... You know, now I've been on the other end of that so many times. Um, but, yeah, he got me into uh, – he was telling me about CM Punk and, and Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins and, and The Shield and just telling – he's like, dude, it's in some ways it's like a new golden era. And I was like, really? And it was the perfect time for him to kind of reintroduce me to the product because it was when the WWE was going through a major transformation and developing the WWE network. And so I love a, a, a good pastime of me, even when I wasn't watching the current product, I loved watching wrestling documentaries from from when I was a child just to see what these guys were going through, who was maybe a drug addict or who, you know, what was all the, all the corruption behind the scenes. Maybe I just love that kind of stuff. So when I realized that they had an entire library of all those documentaries and original specials, and now all the pay-per-views were going to be on this one platform for nine ninety nine a month. I did the free trial. I watched the current, I watched up until the current WrestleManias and just over time, I now watch all the all the weekly shows, and I've been on many podcasts, and now a lot of my friends are those podcast hosts, and we go to WrestleManias together. Um, and, and that just got me, like, fully back in. I really attribute it all to the, to the network. They did a brilliant job. It's so funny. I'm almost an identical story to you. I loved it as a kid. I actually got out right before the Attitude Era, like super weirdly. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. They were very strict about that stuff. So I missed all of Austin Rock the first time around. But then I came back right around the same time as you. It was actually after the Daniel Bryan New Orleans WrestleMania the first time. And then, uh, you know, I I saw the Undertaker stories like in USA Today getting beat by Lesnar. And I was like, this is really popular again, isn't it? And then a buddy of mine invited me to a pay-per-view. I saw the Shield in action live, and I was like, "Wow, these guys are amazing!" And then I start, you know, same thing. I went from watching SummerSlam illegally on a website stream from some Russian site to then actually getting the right. WWE Network and catching up on the documentaries and all that stuff. And and now here we are. What exactly. A time to be alive. And, and- 
Exactly. It's something that got me like major, major in was the Seth Rollins money in the bank cash in at WrestleMania 31, which is the yeah. year after that New Orleans, that first New Orleans uh, WrestleMania. And because that would that whole concept of money in the bank was brand new to me uh, for non wrestling fans. It's probably hard to explain, but basically there's an event where you can win a briefcase, which is different than the titles and the belts that they normally have. And this briefcase holds a contract where you can cash in in that contract at any point and whoever the champion is whether he just had a match or he's backstage or he's just in the ring cutting a promo you can challenge him one-on-one and a lot of times they do it in a very clever way it's a big shock and in this case they had seth rollins uh, after both men in the championship match were bloodied and beaten and bruised and out he ran down the ramp cashed in his contract and stole it and i just didn't even know what was going on but i had chills everywhere i was like this is amazing. Right. And, this is why I'm back. This is why I watched this again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For moments like this. And so when you, when, when it all lines up that way and, and a lot of people, a lot of dudes in their thirties have a very similar story to us, by the way, we're not that unique because, you know, <laughs> essentially, yeah, I watched it, whether it was before that attitude era or even through the attitude era, you know, you're, you're figuring we're, we're late teenagers, maybe going into college and we're trying to get girls or whatever it is. And I'm not going to wear an Austin 316 shirt to a, you know, to my college party. So everyone, kind of falls off and then that that i'm like uh, my buddy dan always says like you know when you're a kid you're you're reckless you're you're a kid and you're unapologetic and you love what you love and you wear silly you know clothes and then you try to act cool for like a good 10 15 years and then once you turn 30 you just kind of oh you just retreat back to who you always were kind of you know yeah, cause you don't give a shit anymore you're you and you're yeah. mature enough to accept that yourself exactly and there's like that uh, there's that layer of like irony to it you know a little bit of like i know it's stupid and silly but i'm stupid and silly so whatever you know and that's kind of how i i cope with it love what you love people do your thing whatever that thing is uh just not like heroin use we don't encourage that but pro wrestling yeah one thousand percent um all right skylar uh i want to get you out of here because you've already given me so much time but i do end this seg uh, the show with two uh quick segments uh, every time and the first one is called Turn the Tables. You don't have to, but if you want to, I let the guest ask me any one question. So if there's anything you'd want to ask me, whatever it may be, uh, now's your chance. Fire away. Oh, I could ask you something? Yeah, turn the tables. I give you that shot. Oh, my God. There's so many things to ask you because, like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of new friends. Uh, yeah, you could go a lot of different directions with this. I'm a little bit worried where you might take it now because you have well, carte now blanche. Well, now I want to go to like just a different place. Like, uh, like you're crazy. For the kids listening, I highly, I highly discourage binge drinking, especially when you're underage. Having said that, what is your like craziest, like have you ever blacked out and woken up somewhere, whether it be, God forbid, in some sort of a hospital or maybe in like a empty bathtub or something crazy that's, that's, that's PG-13 or even R-rated enough for this, this interview? All right. Um, I have a couple in mind, which is not a good sign for my, uh, my long-term <laughs> health that I have multiple uh, stories I can maybe tell you. Um, I'll go with this one. This was... I was maybe mid-20s, like 25, 26 or something, and I was in Austin for a work trip. I will not name the company just to keep all, you know, potential guilty parties. Uh, I don't even know the word. Yeah, innocent, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
My flight was at like 6.30 in the morning the next day. We had wrapped our project the night before, and I figured, let's just go party. You know, we just finished what we were here to do, and I'll just stay up all night, go straight to the airport, because it's such an early flight. It'll be great. Uh, I remember getting in the cab to the airport at like 3 a.m., and the next thing I remember is sitting in my seat, already at cruising altitude. I don't remember getting through TSA, checking in, uh, boarding, none of that. Just in the cab at my hotel, sitting with my seatbelt on, and the stewardess like, would you like something to drink? Nothing in between. I don't know how that happened, how I functioned, but... Mom, if you're listening, I hope you're proud. <laughs> yeah, at least he got to where he was going. And I'm sure when you did get offered a drink, you didn't keep the party going. You probably no. wanted maybe some tea juice or water, coffee, orange juice, something like that. Yeah, uh, as much water as possible. Uh, but yeah, those days are thankfully very much behind me. But it's part of your reckless youth, your 20s. You know, I think we all we all have them. Do you have one? Now i got to ask you. Oh, God. Do I? You know what? I mean, I have, I don't, I don't really have many. Uh, uh, I, the thing is I only have one and it's, it's not, it's not good because I was not of legal age. Ah, okay. Um, so, so it was high school and it was a peer pressure situation and I didn't know what I was doing and it's actually a highly discourageable thing to, to drink that much. But what I will say is, Okay, this is actually how I can give it a bit of a moral. Um, essentially, I had more tequila than anyone should, and I was too young to realize that anyone should do that. And so I came to my own house, uh, again, kind of very dizzy and nauseous, and I was, you know, over the toilet, trying to make myself throw up. And, uh, well, when I first got home, I was kind of crashing into all the, you know, framed pictures and everything. And my parents, you know, immediately are like, Skyla, you know, you, you okay? And I go... <laughs> immediately and this is you know sometimes you tried to get away with stuff when you were in high school uh, i definitely got away with some stuff but i just immediately sold myself down the river i was like no i'm drunk i need your help <laughs> like, that's when you know it's bad when you're just throwing the towel like help yeah, me i, I need I'm, it i'm drunk i'll punish me later like i need you to help me throw up or something or whatever like i was con i was i had enough of like a. I was just so uh, you know, what's the word? Just kind of vulnerable. Mm. <laughs> like, just take care of me. Uh, I need you. And, and I, I can't have you be mad at me yet. Um, and my, 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 uh, punishment was that they were just saying the word tequila for the next week and it would immediately trigger me to get insanely nauseous. Oh, yeah. Um, they didn't really – it's one of those situations where it's like, well, he's clearly learned his lesson. He looks like he's not going to do this next week. Right, um, yeah, self-taught. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think I got much of a punishment for it because I was always a pretty good kid and, and, and understood. And, and to this day, like I'm pretty – I know how to turn up, but I do know my limits, and it's, that's important. But I did learn it the hard way. I definitely did learn it pretty hard. Uh, well, um, youth is I'm wasted not... on the young, but wisdom is enjoyed by the old. So you, you've made yeah. it this far, and you know your limits now. So we're all we're all getting better as as age helps us out. Um, yeah. Skylar, last segment, the fun five. These are five quick, fun questions designed for you and you alone. So you don't got to spend much time on these. They're rapid fire. Question number one. I'm going to try and hit as much of uh, the topics we've covered so far. Uh, last wrestling question. What's your favorite wrestling match of all time? Oh my God! You sound a rapid question. You can't uh, do that to me. 
Oh my God, Jesus. Uh, uh, yeah, the double turn. Uh, Austin Bret Hart. Classic. Question God, number that, two. Gonna, by the way, that's going to be a different answer every single time you ask it. But anyway, keep going. All right. Well, I'll ask you next time you come on the show, and you can give <laughs> exactly. us uh, slowly. We'll get the whole anthology over time. Question number two. If you could go back and have a role on any TV show in history, which show would you most like to be part of? Friends. Ooh. Yeah, I would just, I mean, but then again, like, as a fan, I wouldn't even want to see myself. I'd be like, ah, he'll throw off the whole balance. But I just wanted to be involved. I wanted to be, like, like in the coffee shop just watching them closer because I just loved that show growing up. Ah, and it's still great. On, it's, I think it's on TBS right now somewhere. Just put it on. Yes. And you'll oh, and around. Lost. And, like, as an actor, like, when I was actually acting, I was like, oh, God, I just want to be on Lost. Like, I would love to act with these people. They're so good. Oh, love that show. Um, yeah. Oh, we'll save a lost podcast for another time. Uh, yeah. Question number three. Uh, if aliens came from outer space and they're like, hey, we've heard about this thing you humans do called Broadway, and we want to see one show. We only have time for one show. Which one would you recommend for them to see? Does it have to be out right now? Um, no. There could be a revival for it. We can make that happen for the aliens. Oh, my, uh, my favorite show is uh, Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning show. Uh, it's important. Uh you know, but so that's that's what I would say they would have to see as far as just like educating themselves and just for fun. What's like a fun one? What's like a crazy fun like just like, OK, you're aliens. You probably don't even know English. So you just need something super flashy. Oh, SpongeBob man. just got 12 Tony nominations. Yeah. So. How about SpongeBob? <laughs> I haven't even seen it yet and I'm going I'm going to see it. But let's just, that, that seems like it's just, like, loaded with fun. So, yes, SpongeBob for sure. Beautiful. Question number four, uh, the Deserted Island question. You can only listen to one musical artist for the rest of your life. So you get their whole catalog. It could be a person or a group. Who do you pick? most basic basic bitch answer for a Jew, for, for a Jew from New York. <laughs> but I guess I'm just going to say... Mm, I'm going to say Dave Matthews. It's so weird, but that I, I am. That is so basic. Wow. That's so basic. I know. And I know other people, too, that I could do. And I, there's a band called The Lone Bellow that I love. But I don't know. There's a sense of nostalgia. And I think I would make me think of all of the good times. Oh, that's a very heartwarming <laughs> answer. Yeah. Um, question number five, the last one. And I'm going to time you for this one to make sure that you do keep it quick. If you could give 10 seconds of advice to anyone trying to follow in your footsteps career-wise, what would it be? I'll tell you when your 10 seconds start, and I'll let you know when they're done. You ready? Mm-hmm. Go. Don't be anyone's version of what they want you to be. Be yourself 100%. Don't say no unless if it is something that's like you shouldn't be doing. But generally, you never know which opportunity is going to lead you to where. Um, it's uh, hard. Uh, time's up. It's hard. So, All right. It's Frickin' hard, guys. So just, it's hard. Be, be careful. <laughs> it's hard. Be careful. Good advice for many avenues of life, let alone uh, yeah. acting. Uh, Skyler, uh, people, if you're in D.C., check them out. Tell them about the Kennedy Center show. Let them know where they can find you on social media and find out more about you. Plug whatever you want to plug right now. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm about to play Jay Pierpont Finch in the upcoming How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. We have an amazing cast. Uh, Google it. Um, check my check my Twitter and my Instagram. I've probably been tweeting constantly about it. Um, it just at Skylar Aston. Just Google the spelling of my name. No hyphens, no underscores, no anything. Um, that all across the board. 
Beautiful. And uh, I'm Mike Janella all across the board, so check out my social media, too. Uh, you go to MikeJanella.com to get all previous episodes of the podcast, too. Guys, give it a like or download or subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And you can also find out about the uh, great outro music that you're hearing right about now. All right, Skyler, much appreciated, man. Thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. And one more plug, guys. For real, go to Mike's uh, podcast and all of his stuff because it really is fun and very different. It, it's not like uh, – it doesn't follow the same uh, module every t- every time. It, it really like uh, – it's really diverse and, and different, and there's really something for everyone. So I subscribe. I think you should too for sure. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. Now I know why Anna kept you around. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> for saying those kind words. All right, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'll do even better next time. See ya.